Welcome back, everybody, to Space Junk. Today's episode, we are engaged in a great conversation with Athena Brensberger, also known as Astro Athens, on Instagram and YouTube. She is a model as well as a science communicator who has been working in the modeling field in the fashion industry for quite some time, but she's also an outstanding science communicator. And today we talk with her about what it's like to live in those two worlds of being both in the fashion industry as well as being in the science communication world. And, and she'll enlighten us on some of her experiences and what works for her and what doesn't. She wants to eventually become a professional science communicator, but right now she's engaged pretty heavily in her model work. In the past, while working for the Hayden Planetarium in New York, she was also a, a researcher where she worked on protoplanetary disks and she has some of the most effective posts on science communications that I have ever seen. I'm a big fan, and if you've never heard of her, then I hope at the end of this podcast you will be too. So, let's get started. Hello everyone, and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software, and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories. So hi, Athena. Welcome to our humble podcast. And I'm really glad that you were able to take some time to talk with Dustin and I. And I guess one of the first things we should probably do is maybe for those of uh, our audience who may not know who you are, although I can't imagine there's very many, could you introduce yourself and maybe talk about some of the things that you're doing now uh, on Instagram as well as as a science communicator? Yeah. So as you said, um, my name is Athena Brensberger. I am a science communicator. So what I focus on is creating content all around the sciences, mainly space exploration and astrophysics. That's really where my heart's at. Um, and I pursue that through not just making uh, content, but also trying to go to different events around New York City, California, like planetarium shows and whatnot to actually do outreach for the sciences. In addition to actually being um, a full-time model and actor um, in New York City, so working on set for different films or uh, campaign shoots, that type of stuff, and actually being able to communicate science um, to these uh, these industries, to people in these industries, which is one of my favorite parts of um, having two careers. I, I love that about your your Instagram account, at least, because you always manage to work in, you know, in addition to your model shoots and the photos that you post on Instagram, you also have these really, really cool descriptions of the things maybe that are science oriented. And you have a lot of captions that teach a lot of things to people. So that's an interesting thought. So you work in fashion, obviously, as a model. So what are their reactions to you doing this, uh, these astrophysics style postings? Do they learn something too? Oh, 100%. Um, I think one of my favorite things about when these conversations come up, usually either on set or um, I guess, yeah, behind a show or something like that, is they, I think what's fun about it is their reaction at first is usually like, wow, I wouldn't expect that from a model because most of the time, um, a lot of models start in the industry at a very young age and they won't actually finish. They won't even start college. A lot of them will actually start modeling in high school and um, not really be, uh, not really pursue a career specifically outside of modeling. So that's usually the first reaction. And then what I love after that is they kind of take the microphone. They end up, like the whole conversation ends up them kind of confessing this 
passion that they actually have for science. A lot of people in the fashion industry and the entertainment industry are curious like the rest of us. It's just a human trait at the end of the day. We all want to know where we came from and what else is out there. And I think that that's one of my favorite things about um, being a science communicator and not just when I meet them in person, but yeah, like you said, when we exchange Instagrams and they see this whole other life essentially that I have going on um, through social media where like, yeah, I'll post maybe like really fun, glamorous shots of from a photo shoot or something and people right away click it, but it's kind of like my little bit of a trick to sort of get people that aren't coming for the science to like come for the glam and then learn a little bit of science from the caption. Um, and I mean, I kind of just do it for fun, but, um, in addition to that, I'll then do a post like the following day. That's like a rocket launch from SpaceX, or it's going to be a new discovery of a new image of a black hole or something like that. And, and it right away just draws in more people because for me, I'm kind of just using myself and my platform as a passageway for people to learn science and for people to explore the universe. So that's one of my, a couple of my favorite things actually about, um, having the Instagram conversation come up on my jobs, in addition to um, just telling people when I'm sitting there in the makeup chair and they ask like, so like, what else do you do anything else outside of this? And I'm like, well, actually, yes, let's talk about some science. And it's cool because also most of the things in in the fashion industry, uh, they are a science in themselves. You look at um, the way fabrics are created and the way that um, styling tools are made or hair color is created or makeup. It's all artistry, but it's all based around a science. I mean, it's chemistry. It's all these different things. And, you know, I talk to so many creatives and they say, yeah, I would consider what I do a type of a creative scientific profession. Um, it's not a science. They're not scientists. They're not working on discoveries, but there is an actual like um, arithmetic behind it, which I think is really cool. So it brings more of an appreciation when I actually talk to them about what I do and that I have a background in astrophysics. So it's, it's awesome. I really love it. I am so glad that we're doing this episode. This is the greatest bait and switch of all time. Like, I honestly think you've, you've achieved it. Athena. this is the best thing ever. It's like, you've got people scrolling Instagram and they're like, I'm going to, here's a, a swimsuit model. I'm going to click this picture. And then it's like, boom, 4,000 level, you know, physics class right now, <laughs> you know, as soon as they click it. Cause when your, your captions, that's what it's about is it's all science related, but this is absolutely the best bait and switch I've ever seen for people that are just casually scrolling through Instagram, having no idea they're about to get a physics lesson. <laughs> I have to say that I, I, I'm grateful for this as well because of the, the one, the one frustration I have as a science communicator, I've been doing deep astronomy since 2006. And the thing that's been the most frustrating is this feeling of being in an echo chamber. And I'm desperate to find ways of getting out of that. How do I reach people who aren't going to already, you know, watch all the videos I make or, or, you know, post whatever the podcasts are. There's already an audience there of so many. How do we get out there? And you found a great way to do that, to bridge the two things. And I wish more than more people would be able to would do that because it, there's a, there's just a science, I think, especially an astronomy bubble out there where people just, we all tend to be talking to each other to the same, I, I always call them the same 10,000 views. And, and uh, we, we need to break out. And this is a great way of doing that. And 
And I guess my question for you in that regard is sometimes when people cross over, they try to do two things at once, there's pushback. Do you find that you get any of that from people who follow you for your modeling when you try to say astronomy things to them? Or is it just well received almost universally? Um, I would say I'm very grateful that about 70% is well received. Um, But I have gotten, especially in the beginning, when I was trying to step away from modeling and go more into science, I was getting a lot of um, interesting feedback. So I was going more into science. And a lot of the people I had um, connected with through the fashion industry sort of backed away because they were like, this is a little too advanced for me. I don't really understand what you're talking about. This is too much. And then when I started to enter back into the modeling industry, I started posting stuff uh, for, cause like I knew that there'd be clients that would check out my Instagram and I kind of want to showcase what I've done over the past 10 years internationally. So I would post stuff and I've gotten comments saying, oh, I thought this was a science page. What's all this model stuff? Or I'm confused. What's going on? Why do I see um, modeling photos? Like no one cares for that. We want to see science stuff. And um, what I love is that before I even have a chance to respond, I'll have a good handful of like five to 10 people responding back to them before I even do saying, actually, like, this is what her page is, take it or leave it. Like she does both of the stuff. And it's not just her, it's it's a whole industry, there's a greater purpose to it, where it's not individualized, it's actually like communal, there's two industries that are becoming friends in all throughout all through this platform. And um, I'm really happy to see that type of response because I do still get it every now and then where I'll get, you know, people saying like, I don't understand why, you know, why you post about this. There's no point. And, um, and I, I, you know, I like it because it gives me a challenge and it gives me a chance to sort of be like, hmm, why am I still modeling? Why am I still doing that? I could be an astrophysicist and have gotten my PhD and been doing, you know, research um, at Columbia University. I've been working for NASA already. And then I think, but there's so many lives that I feel like I've connected with by doing exactly what um, what I'm doing. And it, it actually motivates me more to keep doing more and to keep creating stuff. Um, so I, I do like it when I get a little bit of that pushback. Um, but now what's happening is um, something really, really cool is I, I've just signed to Wilhelmina Models um, in New York City this year, beginning of this year. And this is actually one of the biggest modeling agencies I've ever been part of. And I've been doing this for 10 years. And they are like the biggest support I've ever had in this, in my industry because of the science stuff, of the NASA stuff. Like I'll literally like send them an email saying, hey, I got a book out for a week because I'm going to a rocket launch. And they're like, this is the coolest thing ever. Can you please make sure to tag us on Instagram? Because we want our, our designers, we want our clients to see that our models have depth and that they're doing other things and that there's a greater purpose to like, yeah, to just humanity in general, um, but through the fashion industry. And I think that that made me super excited because everyone at, at um, my agency has become like family to me. And not only was the support incredible, but the encouragement to actually now include them in what I'm doing, it, it makes me so much more motivated and excited to actually see what's going to come in the next five years and what's actually going to blossom, um, I guess in the next uh, 10 years. I mean, who even knows? Um, so yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's cool stuff. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. So 
when I found out that you were going to be on our podcast, uh, there was a, a lucky coincidence that happened when I was, I, I'm an obsessive reader of, of space and astronomy news because I, I do, I, I publish a small video series called space fan news. And so I look for interesting things to put on there. And I came across an article in wired magazine that I wanted to ask you about. It turns out that there are astronomers and this why this this wired magazine was uh titled um the style quantifying astrophysicists of silicon valley and it was about it tells the story of a phd astrophysicist chris moody who chose not to go into academia but instead is working for a place called uh stitch fix and what he is doing is using because astronomers have to use big data in the course of their work they have you know, just terabytes of images and data to go through and algorithms to write to be able to sort through and do their research. They're actually leaving the field of astronomy to work in the fashion industry. And in particular, uh, he want, he's writing algorithms that use ba Bayesian models and Poincaré space and all kinds of cool things to predict what clothes someone might like to wear. And there, and he's not alone. There's other astrophysics, astrophysicists going into the fashion, not being models, but going into the fashion industry for the as a interesting way to take their skills working with big data and applying it to something for everyday people. And uh, I, I just wanted to know, did had you heard about this by any chance? This. Um, this sort no, of, I actually never did. Oh yeah, Stitch Fix, you said right. Yeah, Stitch Fix is the name of the company that uh, many of them are going to work for. But it was also a it was also an article. This was from Wired Magazine. It's brand new. I think it came out last week. And that also talked about you know people going to work for Netflix and Spotify and Google because they also need big people who can work with big data. But I thought that was interesting that uh, the what's driving companies like Stitch Fix and other places that are making clothes uh, and fashion is that they're relying a lot on the skill set that astronomers use. And I thought that was an interesting connection. Um, this reminds me of uh, when my very first uh, astronomy professor in college was telling me about how um, one of his previous grad students had gone through um, like three or four interview rounds for, I believe it was either the CIA or the FBI, um, specifically <laughs> because she had an astrophysics degree. And um, because of that, from exactly what you said, going through so much data that there was a high demand of um, astrophysicists just because they're so used to coding and then going through, I mean, arrays, arrays of data, like so much of it. So I'm not surprised to actually be hearing this because um, with technology booming so much, we're seeing it affecting so many industries everywhere. I mean, obviously Netflix, we're seeing Amazon, we're seeing the fashion industry. So this makes a lot of sense also because a lot of industries, uh, sorry, a lot of companies now like Warby Parker, which is for glasses, they're using augmented reality technology to actually try and allow people to like try on different pairs of glasses to see what it would look like with their face, essentially like through an app. Um, and I know a lot of us probably by now have played with augmented reality in some form of fashion. So we kind of know how it works on the phone where you see things in the room and then all of a sudden something appears like Pokemon Go. And so a lot of companies are doing that now um, in the fashion industry. So I'm really not surprised that they're having astrophysicists come in and, um, and be part of that. I mean, I think honestly, the fashion industry alone is really uh, evolving into a different direction because um, I, one of my favorite topics to talk about is sustainability and seeing what's happened if starting from the 90s until recently where 
commercialized items just became so overly saturated. We uh, consumers are just purchasing, purchasing, purchasing so much. And me being a model in the industry, like I've seen the difference and I've seen how um, wasteful, honestly, a lot of the fashion industry is. And what I like about how science and and fashion are merging now is they're developing new ways to recycle and to actually use like rental services, for instance, um, or to you know, find ways that um, lessen the energy impact, the water impact on the environment. And um, I think that that's something that's really beneficial um, and also wearable tech and things that tell you uh, like your um, different uh, biological stats and like how your blood pressure is that day. They have clothing that can do this now um, that people are developing. And I think that that's definitely a huge um benefit of where we're moving as just generally as humanity into our next level of evolution is we're, we're starting to become more conscious, I think, of just like the impact that we're making because, you know, fashion really does make a huge impact like that on the world um, because, of course, fashion is all about like trend. It's all about what's new. And especially with the fashion weeks, it was literally developed. I mean, this past fashion week, I went to a few panels and um, we were talking with the creators of Fashion Week and they literally were like, yeah, it was literally developed so that new designers can essentially compete with each other to show what they have coming out and what is trying to predict what people are going to want. Exactly what you said, what people trying to predict what people are going to want based on previous trends and what's upcoming for the season. And, um, you know, although that's awesome, it just has become so redundant and everyone's doing it that it's um you know it's having kind of an environmental effect so what i like is that so many companies are now merging with them to try and reverse that or or just you know recycle look at it from a different perspective which, um, puts gives me hope well, yeah and the thing that i think surprised me the most was that it was the fashion industry looking at ways in which to use big data uh in its in in its industry because there's, there's nothing new that uh the the financial markets for example have been hiring physicists for decades right they they because of the same modeling processes that go on in finance they use um, also in astronomy all the time and in, in science and so they've been getting hired all the time but it's turned out and this is something that our listeners may want to know that if you do get a a degree in astronomy or physics or astrophysics and especially in the phd level there has as many people know a big frustration with academia because it is so competitive i mean less than five percent of the people who try to get into academia, actually get a tenure track position in the end. So it's a very frustrating, very competitive, very stressful way to uh, start a career. Uh, and many are just eschewing it now. They're just not even bothering uh, to go into academia and instead are going into these other very interesting, I think, career paths. Uh, we're using the same skills that they got in to get their PhD uh, dissertation done. They are now able to cross that over into all kinds of things. And I wouldn't be surprised, Athena, if if we start seeing people using this technology or using big data to find a way to make the textile industry a little bit more uh, sustainable. Because I think you're right. I, th I think I've heard, but I'm not sure of the numbers, that it is one of the uh, most environmentally expensive uh, industries out there in terms of the not just the waste, but the amount of energy that goes into making clothing and the amount that gets thrown away and all that kind of stuff. So... Um, I think we'll see that as well going forward. This is not at all a podcast I thought we would ever have. 
I love this. I really do. Like, <laughs> what just did listening. you think was going to happen? I'm just, <laughs> I'm just sitting here thinking, like, this is amazing. It's so different than what I ever thought would come up with, with a space podcast. And it's it's the best possible thing, <laughs> you know? Um, well, when you get but, interesting people on the I mean, it goes this way. I mean, this well, is really exactly, cool stuff. It, exactly. <laughs> and I think it, it breaks down so many stereotypes, too, which is, you know, incredible and, and very important. But um, I, I don't know. Maybe I guess it could amplify one stereotype because i think anybody that thinks of astrophysicist is probably thinking or scientists in general they're probably thinking that's a that's a really attractive person you know all astrophysicists are known for being very attractive people right and that's <laughs> that's what people think of in the sciences and i don't know just the whole idea is just um it's amazing. And we get a lot of lashback when we do even small things. Um, and obviously I'm joking, right? I don't think that anybody ever thinks about scientists as attractive people. <laughs> I don't think there's a swimsuit calendar for him. No, there's certainly. I can't. Although I astronomy can't magazine does this. come out with a winter with a with a with a yearly uh, swimsuit edition. I think, but I don't Tony, think it sells I, very well. We're doing a Wait, swimsuit what? calendar this think? year. <laughs> You're joking, right? I am joking. Yes. Oh, I was going to say, well, if we actually did, I'm like not that gullible, but no. sometimes I am. I would no, have. No. I would have been really excited because oh. you know how astronomy fashion is becoming awesome now. Everybody Everybody's wearing images yeah, from Hubble. Yeah. So that's a good yeah. point, actually. No, it would be a bad idea now that I think of it. I've said it as a joke, but now that yeah. I think of it, it might actually work. Because you're right. There are a lot of really cool fashion awesome. out there, fashion items out there in space. So. I think it's awesome, but I don't think that astronomy is known as the community that's that excels with fashion. I mean, it would take a lot of researchers to get either one of us, Tony, fashionable. Well, I know. And I have... and I, I'm going to admit something here on this <laughs> podcast out loud that I probably shouldn't. But yes, there was a time in the mid-90s to early 2000s, I wore Birkenstocks and white socks. Yeah, I, I did that. Hey, what are you oh. talking about? You wear that oh, shit now. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I know better now. <laughs> But there was a actually, time. I right? dress like there that. There was a time I did that. I swear to God, I actually went to work that way. So, uh, yeah. But you... um, I I did that last oh. week actually. Oh, thank I you. Where I oh, just got a pair you. of Birkenstocks for the first time. I literally just got Birkenstocks for the first time, and I've been wearing like my NASA socks, which are white crew socks with a little red toe and the NASA meatball symbol. And I've been wearing those to. Yeah, I mean, I did that once one oh, day to work, but also then again, okay. my work is you know backstage but literally i just got a pair of birkenstocks it's funny that you're mentioning that well clearly i was ahead of my so, time so take that dustin you were look at that. look, look i'm just going blog. off our recent our recent experience tony and i were in new york that's where you are now right is new yes. york um so tony and i were there not not too long ago and he gets off the plane we walk up to meet and tony's in these knee-high socks with some crocs you lie. You lie. and like these these shorts these <laughs> cargo shorts happen. Pulled up, they're pulled up so high that he doesn't, he's not even wearing a shirt and you can't see his nipples, right? And I was like, Tony, like we're wearing the same thing. You didn't even tell me. Okay, all right. You didn't even tell me. This sounds yeah. amazing. Uh, no, no, it was not amazing. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh my no, god! It looks good. Need is it looks good. High in your set. We're head turners. Yeah, yeah. we're head turners, head turners for sure. Yes. Yeah. But <laughs> no, it's true. We are way really, up there in like, the fashion world. We are known for looking oh good. Oh my gosh! I mean, people used to Probably make fun of Freddie heads. Mercury for dressing exuberant. <laughs> I think that all of us should be a little more bold with our fashion sense <laughs> and not care what others think. So, oh, I Tony, it. Tony takes it to a new yeah, level. I am a essential um, person on that. No, I really do think it's great, but I can tell you that we've tried to, to mix, you know, different things together that people wouldn't typically, you know, associate with astronomy. And we've gotten a little bit of lashback for it. You know, I actually got, um, I made a post yesterday um, with like a philosophical statement attached to it. And one of the first things when I posted it to one of the um, astronomy, it's like an astronomy and binoculars and like a bunch of different things forum. One of the first things that somebody said back was like, well, I'm all for the science portion of this, but, you know, this can probably do without the philosophy. You know, science and philosophy don't really go hand in hand. And That's so bullshit. for one, well, I agree with you. And okay. so I made a joking comment back that was like, you know, PhD is doctor of philosophy. And, <laughs> and, and you know, the science community still treats that as something that, you know, garners a little bit of respect, right? So... Um, but you know, I mean, obviously philosophy meant a little bit, something different back in, you know, the Latin days, but still, I think the point is that it's a way of thinking, right. And that's all that the scientific method was, was a new way of thinking about problem solving. And so I don't know, I disagree with that comment, but I can tell you even the smallest things like that's such a small thing. Like, Hey, I'm going to bring in a little bit of philosophy into a post and we get some lashback from it. Or mm -hmm. let's do astronomy at a, you know, at a brewery so that people that otherwise would never see this get a chance to and we get lashback for it. I can't imagine the crazy comments you must be getting for mixing two <laughs> things that people don't see at all associated with each other. Yeah, I mean, surprisingly, like I was saying before, I really don't get that much. I do not know why. I mean, knock on wood, like I'm really get surprisingly a, a hefty amount of support. Huh. I really don't get that much lashback. I even in your direct when, messages, like, no, like private those, messages, I check those, and it's like it's they're great. They're great messages, and it's really it's a lot of a lot of questions about how can I pursue a career in, in science in some way or in fact, I mean, I get honestly both. How can I pursue a career in fashion? How can I pursue a, a career in, in science or one or the other? Um, or them saying like, Hey, like I did not think I would ever be able to go into science because um, I was raised going to pageants, like a, a young girl or something. Like I've gotten a few messages right, from, right. from younger women um, saying things like that. And they're just like, you know, I was always trained to be, you know, this, 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 but I didn't think I could actually pursue that, that, that. I mean, I have gotten quite a, a lot of uh, really so much positive feedback. Like I'm dead ass serious about this. It's the weirdest yeah. thing. Um, and I, when I have gotten flashback, um, it's never like mean either. It's like, it's more just like people kind of questioning things and I'll actually have full on conversations with them. Usually it's, it's comments um, on images or videos or whatever. And it will start a chain of, of commentary between me and like three other people will jump in and we'll just start bouncing back and forth kind of, uh, let's use the words, word philosophy again, but the philosophy of what um, our stereotypical concept is of science, scientists, and then also like science pages. And um, just honestly, at the end of the day, I think it's just human curiosity. And I think that that's kind of the way I approach most of the things. So maybe that's why... I don't get as much lashback, um, but I, 
like I've posted things to saying, um, this is scientific, um, fact right here. And here's like what you said, here's a little bit of my philosophical thought in it. And I've gotten before a few times where people are just like, you know, but is that really, well, I'll talk about dreams or I'll talk about lucid dreaming and talk about really like hippy dippy stuff. And it's surprising how so many people really open up about having their own opinions about things like, yeah, like non-physical like body or consciousness or all that other stuff. And I think that that's really cool because then what we'll do is we'll take the deep, hard studies done on theoretical physics and quantum physics, and we'll compare and contrast that to now the things that we experience in a deep meditation or in like a sound bath, for instance, or placebo effects. Or And, and I think that that's awesome because that's the whole purpose to me of a science community is it's to discuss this stuff in a friendly debate and in a way where... Um, even if it's not friendly, like, so what, at least we're talking about it, you know, to me, I'm like, I, I mean, if, if you're gonna create a science page, you're gonna expect some, some harshness, like, it, that's just how it is. Like, I, I learned that early on in the science community, people will correct you. And I love that. And I think it's great. And, um, you know, I'll talk about like, exoplanets. I remember the first time I said, Oh, other solar systems, I had someone who actually said, don't you mean exoplanetary systems? And they're like, it's only called solar because we named the sun, our star, the sun, solar. And I was like, you know what? You're right, actually. And they're like, those are actually planetary systems. That's why you would use it. And I'm like, you're right. I remember learning that when I was studying protoplanetary disks. But it's funny because I try to use more common language where people know the term solar system as being our system sure. for people who don't have a science background. And so when I tell them, there's other systems out there that are like our solar system. They get excited. If I say to them, planetary systems, it's not relatable in their head necessarily because they don't know the word exoplanet. And so a lot of times I I will try to switch back and forth between those but I've um, because I used to get pushed back, but I've kind of learned now the method of how to include everybody in the conversation by using uh, language in both ways. But I think that, that that's really where I got most of the pushback. But Tying back to what you were saying now, as far as when you're in the astronomy bubble, and um, we all like most people who want to go into science or even interested in science, they like science because they like to know what's the truth. And if they don't know what's the truth, they get mad. And I get that. Um, but we have to remember that if we didn't start even asking questions um, back when philosophers were philosophers before they were scientists we wouldn't even have science. We wouldn't have the fundamental laws of physics. And so if we stop thinking in a philosophical way, there are discoveries yet to be known. And we might never reach them if we start to block ourselves from thinking philosophically. So I think that, um, yeah, so I, yeah, I I get that people get frustrated about it when um, people kind of come in with metaphysics and other ways of thinking but they can get mad all they want. I don't really care. I think that most of us are going to have to, we, we have to, that's part of humanity. We have to keep exploring the unknown. And if there's anything that has brought me assurance, it's quantum physics and theoretical physics, because that stuff is just like freedom to do whatever, think whatever. And it's backed up by math. So you're good. You know, <laughs> Not all the time, but sometimes. <laughs> But I think it's great. I'm not quite sure I feel as, as, as comfortable about that as you uh, with some of that stuff. But I get your point. <laughs> like uh-huh. Some of this is like, really? I don't want an infinite possible number of universes out there. That's not, that's scary. So I, I tend to, I tend to, 
you know, feel a little bit more apprehensive about the, the way that in which we're embracing these multi-worlds and these infinite uh, possibilities in quantum mechanics. So, but it is, it's slowly starting to change my mind. I think both of you do a great job of not missing the forest for the trees in, in the way you're communicating, because it's not science talking, right? It's science communicating. And I think so many people get buried in the details, like you said, where you're going to call it a solar system or, you know, just explain it in a way that people understand because of the references that they have in their life, instead of, you know, the deep page 695 in a textbook somewhere, you know, it's like people don't hear the word exoplanet every day. There's no reason for that to be part of their daily vocabulary. And it's great if you can start the conversation and lead it there and expand on somebody's understanding of it. But to miss the communication entirely at the, you know, to to save using the correct terminology, I think is a mistake. I think that's a sacrifice not worth making is start somewhere, meet people where they are and expand from there. And I think both of you do a really good job. Just one second with with what I've seen with your post, Athena. One of the reasons I think you don't get pushback is that you are and I, I'm sorry I have to use this term, but, you know, there's this authentic there's this authentic uh, uh, nature that that comes across in your posts. And I know that's a buzzword and you're not supposed to use it, especially with Instagram these days. But but uh, it is it just is you're very authentic and you're very you're very non um, non exclusive in your posts. It's very inviting to read what you write. And by comparison, when I post something, it's generally it's hard because I'm a guy. I end up sometimes I'll look at my stuff and I'm like, God, I am really mansplaining here. And it's you know, it's really I'm just I'm just mansplaining. And it just comes across that way. But yours doesn't. And I find that very refreshing. That's why I I, I follow your posts uh quite interesting. And I've, I've recently started watching your videos on YouTube as well. So I, 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 I just enjoy this. I call, I, I call it a luxury because I don't have it. You have this ability to, to bridge worlds that I think is so valuable. And I'm glad you're doing what you're doing for that reason, especially with astronomy communications, because we desperately need more of that stuff. Yeah, I agree. Oh, I agree. <laughs> so let me, let me ask you with, with astronomy, are you a night sky lover or are you the theory and, um, you know, just the, the deep science lover What or both? Um, I wish I was more of a night sky lover, but being in New York City with the amount of pollution we have, um, it's really hard to see the night sky. So I was telling my hairstylist earlier about um, how she can see Jupiter at night and why it won't be twinkling like stars. And so that was a fun fact, but that's the most of what we really could see unless we have we pull out the telescopes. But um, I've definitely been more of the theory lover, um, mm -hmm. which is interesting because when I was doing research um, at, at the Hidden Planetarium back at college, um, I was studying protoplanetary disks, so the early formation of exos, exoplanetary systems, because my whole goal was to try and find life beyond Earth. That's what really drove me to even pursue astronomy when I was 12 years old and first learned about it um, was thinking there has to be life beyond earth. Um, we can't be the only beings that exist. Don't tell Tony so, that he doesn't, he doesn't like that. Oh, he doesn't like the thought of aliens. No, no Tony, Tony, no, I think it's entirely, I think we're it. Okay. Cool. <laughs> it's okay. You can still be rational in here. You can ignore Tony with that. I mean, yeah, I think, I think it's, no, I, I think that that's the, the beauty of humanity is that we all think different things and it doesn't really matter what we believe because once something gets discovered, uh, boom, doesn't matter what you think anymore because here's the evidence. Yeah. So yeah. not, not that I'm saying, you know, we're, we're going to find some ETs or anything, but 
Um, oh, I think I think we absolutely will find ETs. I think we'll find a lot I of think, everything. I think the universe is full of life everywhere. Well, okay, but I, I agree. Oh, yeah. The universe Especially is full of life. I'm just not so sure uh-huh. about uh, technologies and civilizations. But uh, I'll give you life. Okay. Life is that's, probably that's everywhere. But um, yeah, I bet right. there's space fish. Maybe okay. That? Maybe there's a space fish. There's probably space amoebas. Yes, and. Uh, and Enceladus is that that's that plumes. that's that hippie that's that hippy dippy part you were talking about coming out huh Space Fish is no, that no 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 <laughs> sounds like the name of a not. band no be... I'm referring to <laughs> it does that should definitely be a band Space Fish it's no, like, look, man, I don't know I'm about life out like... there but uh, Space Fish <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a great music video um, no I'm referring to the hydrothermal vents found that right around the plumes in the south pole of Enceladus, one of the moons of, um, of Jupiter. And what's cool is right in that area, it, there's a high chance that there might be some type of extremophile living there, a microorganism. And I joke with people saying space fish, um, actually, because my friend Kevin DeBruin, uh, who used to be known as the fit rocket scientist, and he's a really cool, great science communicator, Was worked at NASA um, and did the Ninja Warrior Challenge. That's why he's called the Fit Rocket Scientist. He first mentioned the term space fish to me, and I was like, yo, man, I didn't think about that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, man, it's like water. I don't know why I keep talking like a hippie, but um, <laughs> if there's you know water shooting out of the plumes of Enceladus, then there's a high chance that there may be some type of at least an extremophile or you know microorganism living around that area because we have hydrothermal vents here on Earth and we know that there's extremophiles that live in that area. Mm-hmm. So right. um, with that, there's I mean that's and that's in our solar yeah, system. Yeah. Imagine yeah. other planetary. Well, the systems. key there will be the liquid water, as you mentioned, and energy. If we have, we can get those Word. two things there, in in uh, in those in Enceladus, also Europa. Then uh, you know we're golden. There's something there. Yeah, yeah, it's super, titan. super likely with uh, Europa, right? I mean, it's so close to Jupiter, all that radiation, and it's uh, got more water than the Earth. Could be a lot of tidal heating going on. There could be lots of sources of energy yeah. there, but there's also a lot of radiation, too, So, uh, from Jupiter itself. So it's it's hard to say. But I, I can tell you that if it's bad news, it's bad news if we find life in our in our own solar system that's independent from Earth. And I've said many times why that is, but I'll briefly just say it one more time. If we find life elsewhere in this solar system that's in, that did not come from Earth, then that means that we are still yet to face a great filter that uh, we have, because one of the great filters could be life starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. And then if, if, if it happens twice in the same solar system, then it probably happens everywhere. And it's not a great filter, and we still have yet to face it. So You mean if we find any life or if we find intelligent life? Any life. If we find any life here, see, one of the ideas of a great filter, and a great filter is these things that keep life from colonizing the galaxy, which we have yet to see any evidence of. One idea for what a great filter could be is the stage at which life begins from a set of ingredients like primordial ooze of all the organic compounds that make up life but isn't life. That step going from there to something that is alive may be a great filter. In other words, that step may be very hard. It may be very rare. And it happened on Earth, obviously. But if it if it happens somewhere, and but how common is that step? Is it something that happens? Is it easy or is it hard? Biologists don't know. So if you have it twice in the same solar system, that's a good argument for it being an easy step, which means that this life is probably oozing up everywhere. And we have a problem of explaining why we are not seeing any other technological civilizations in our galaxy. Yeah. So Fermi's paradox. Yeah. It's right. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, when you said mm-hmm. space fish, I was thinking, like, I feel like you guys cheated a little bit. You're like, space fish, but on another planet or moon. I thought you meant fish just, like, out there floating around in space. <laughs> existing and that there was like some theory you had for this i'm just like a hell of a fish dustin and that's why i was like this is some hippie like this is now i get why you thought hippie yeah no i should should. well i immediately went to space amoeba which was a star trek episode so yeah yeah, this big amoeba floating in space so that was what that's where so i guess i kind of went there too let's talk about the hippie stuff for a second because um you know out here i mean i'm in you know the heart of california so um i'm probably the only Alabama type out here. And, you know, most of my friends out here have a a good deal of that hippie. I think you called it hippie dippy. I call it woo woo. Right. But in them and it's it's fun because (laughs) it's fun because I don't I don't you know, I don't believe in a lot of it, but it doesn't bother me. I know a lot of people that are like really deep in science. it, It really they struggle with it. Like if somebody accidentally calls astronomy, astrology, it's like offensive. And to me, it's oh, not. It's like, okay. You know, yeah. it's fine. Well, it it's is fine. cringy though. It is cringy. It, you know, it just, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't. And so like I have friends that it, listening to them talk, you know, there'll be like an astrophysicist on one side and then somebody that like charges their crystals in the moonlight on the other side. And just hearing them go back and forth is the funniest conversation ever. They were talking about recently that last big, I don't remember what it was called, like blood wolf ultra gigantoid moon or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. We have a lot of you those know? these days. And so yeah. the astrophysicist. Yeah. Blood, the super days. blood zombie yeah. blue moon. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like yeah. there's, there's so going to be a moon now. in the sky. So it's pretty, it's going to be, it's going to be new. There's going to be a moon in the sky. And, um, <laughs> and so the astrophysicist <laughs> looks over at her and he's just like, well, let me tell you right now, that night, make sure you don't charge those crystals. He said, that's just, he's like, that is too much power. Winding them up. Huh? <laughs> he's like, you're going to overcharge those crystals and it's going to cause a singularity. And I don't want to be part of that. You know, oh and it's like, like these conversations. You are wielding power. You do I not understand. Can we make <laughs> but, a comedy sketch yeah. like this? This is great. This is brilliant. But I love, I love that. Like they're having these conversations and they're both joking at each other and they completely get along. And I love that because I feel like there's so much tension between the two sides of it, you know, between astronomy and astrology. And it's like, man, just enjoy this stuff, you know, communicate to each other, try to educate each other you know but like i feel like let people understand everything they possibly can and then go from there and i I feel like our job obviously is to educate on science where we can but i don't think it that means teach hate on the other side right i don't think that means that at all it's hard not to these days with tribalism being the way it is it's uh us versus them and almost everything you do it seems like well i mean we joke all the time about flat earth but i still think it's some of the funniest shit i've ever heard in my life and i'm really glad it's there because it makes my life better hearing about it yeah and i I, you know i I stopped being upset about it a long time ago as well just because they're just trolling that's all they're doing (laughs) these people are just trolling and getting attention so i i just take it in the spirit in which they're doing it now because you can't there's just no reason for it to be serious. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I started to um, do as far as like um, approaching a conversation um, with not necessarily just flat earthers, but um, what you were referring to in general as like woohoos or <laughs> like very hippy to be out there people. Um, <laughs> I, uh, how do I, how do I even start with this? Uh, I started kind of dissecting the mindset of them from like a very scientific perspective by doing kind of like trial and errors one of my favorite things to do in my life is doing experiments and seeing what works and what doesn't. And so when it came to 
different belief systems when it comes to crystals or it comes to zodiac signs and everything like that. Um, I never want to approach it. I'm sure you guys feel the same way from a way of like correcting them as saying, no, you're wrong. Let me tell you because nobody, everybody wants to rebel and they want to retaliate. That's why, you know, a lot of times, um, a lot of students won't do too well in school. Some students, because they don't perform well in an atmosphere that way where they're just being told information rather than them learning it on their own. So what I like to usually do is I like to kind of understand where they're coming from and where, why they feel certain ways. And then sort of ask them if they tried, I guess, like other alternatives or like when it comes to like the the crystals, for instance, I'm just like, okay, well, amethyst makes you feel that way. And I'm like, so how about, you know, like one of those days when you're having a great day and you realize you left your, you know, your healing crystals at home, like, is that really, um, do you think that that really made a difference or not on your day? And we'll kind of talk a little bit about what a placebo effect is. And we'll talk a bit about um, the constellations in the night sky and why, you know, your zodiac isn't really relevant to your personality traits, but kind of going about it in more, I guess, more of a gentle way. I mean, yes, I get very frustrated about it because I've been told many times where people like, especially, I mean, I'm, I'm in the entertainment industry. And so um, a lot of people are like firm believers of their zodiac signs. And so when I mention astronomy or I mentioned I study the stars they're like oh great can you give me my zodiac like can you do tarot card readings yeah and are I you have a Taurus because we won't get along are you a Taurus <laughs> yeah and uh, but it's crazy because people light up and like I mean one person talk ta- starts talking about it it's a domino effect and the whole room starts talking about it and so what I like to do is throughout the conversation like it's almost like as if I'll encourage them to think outside of the box. I don't exactly know how to really describe how it happens, but eventually they'll start to realize, wow, yeah, maybe that doesn't make any sense because I got along with this person and she also was a Taurus. And then all of a sudden they start to kind of question their own beliefs and they're like, hmm, maybe it's actually I'm putting meaning to each of these people and to their signs. So I think that as far as that goes, um, at the end of the day, people are going to believe what they believe. But I do think it's important that we bring them the knowledge and we say to them, okay, well, just so you know, um, all of the constellations have shifted because of the earth's wobble. Cause did you know that the earth actually wobbles and the, all the constellations that were first written, you know, 2000 years ago are no longer even for the same dates that they are nowadays. You know, when they first were created by the Greeks, um, right. a lot of the constellations have shifted. And so, um, that messes with a lot of people, <laughs> which I understand. Um, but I do think that, yeah, it's, it's rough. Cause it's just like, you know, on one hand you want to, um, you know, educate them and tell them that they're wrong. But on the other hand, um, I don't get any satisfaction out of that and they don't get any satisfaction. And then at the end of the day, they don't want to learn. So I try to actually have a full conversation about like, bringing my knowledge to the table and having them sort of learn on their own and realize it within the conversation. Um, so, so is that yeah, what bothers you too weird. then? Is that, is that the thing that bothers both mm-hmm. of you is that you just like, you know that they're wrong and you just want to educate on why that's wrong. So it's not like coming from a place of like, I got to beat you right now. It's just like, I know this information to be incorrect and I want to show you why it is. Is that what you're feeling? I think what bothers me is that they I get so happy about their their stuff and they're so confident that they know it that it's almost like as if me telling them about what you know what they believed or have believed for so many years is not correct it it right. crushes them and then you yeah. know and 
I don't want to be a soul crusher. And so yeah. <laughs> I'm like, maybe that's yeah. more of like a feminine trait of mine. I don't quite know. It's not mansplaining, but like, right. I, I just, you know, I like to tell them in, in a way, but like at the same time, I'm like, do you know, if that's what makes them happy, that's what makes them happy. It's, it's not killing the world. They're not, you know, having wars over their Zodiac signs. So, you know, it's not, yeah. So I let's, let's kick what it to you? the soul crusher then, Tony. Yeah. Uh, Tony, soul what? crusher. <laughs> What? What about you? What, I mean, the, you're you're the soul crusher. Why do you crush souls when it comes? Well, to- I'll tell you. I'll I'll answer that in just a sec. But I just want to make a quick comment about what Athena just said, and and that is that that is why you are a good science communicator. The way in which you do the things that you're doing, the way in which you're engaging these people, is exactly right because you're starting from where they are and you're building a case for maybe thinking a little bit beyond what they might hold to be true. And that comes across also in your Instagram posts. And I think that's why you don't get a lot of pushback when you do the crossover between fashion and say and and science. So I just want to say, I I think you're on the right path for how to do it. And I try to emulate that now more than I ever have. I used to be a soul crusher where I just wanted to just get up in people's face (laughs) and, and just say, I'm sorry, but this is so full of shit. I can't listen to you anymore, but I, that doesn't work. It's just, it's just like shouting in a vacuum. There's no, you're not going to get anywhere with that. I learned long ago that I, I, nowadays I don't even engage, but I, I used to want to try and say, come on, can't you see that it doesn't make sense that, you know, one twelfth of the world's population is having a similar kind of day, all based on the day that they were born. I mean, you know, the, the whole idea of astrology and the reason I think that it's popular is that it is about them. It tells every person alive who was born on the planet Earth at a certain range of dates a little bit about themselves. They get a bit of a story about who they are, and they get some insight into what kind of person they are, and they love it. It's complete bullshit, but it is something they can latch on to, and it makes sense to them. And then they start looking for all these confirmations in their life about how it works. Well, you know, you're a Taurus, which means you're an asshole about certain things. And I'm a Gemini, which means I'm flaky. So we don't have any real, we're not going to get along very well. They try to make that work in their relationships and daily life because it tells a story about them and they would like it. And they like that story. And I think that's why it's popular. It's just, it's just silly. I would love to be around an astrologer back in 2000. What was it? 2009 or 2008 when the IAU made, Pluto and not a planet anymore. Oh, what the yeah. hell did that do to their charts? Right. I mean, it's like, well, <laughs> Pluto's not even a planet now. How are you going to deal with that? Yeah. So, I mean, I would love to have had that conversation with an astrologer, but I just, nowadays I don't even, I don't even engage. <laughs> well, Tony, I used to, I, I used mean, to try. When is your birthday, man? It could be why you're skeptical. June 5th. I'm a yeah. Gemini. So yeah. that's the yeah. problem. That's why you don't believe it. That it's, makes so much skeptical. sense. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. Doesn't it though? I mean, we yeah. all know about me now because I was born <laughs> On so June 5th. here's the thing though. Here, here's the thing. This is why this is why this stuff doesn't bother me. I actually like it. I like sitting and talking to people about it. I like talking to people that are passionate about it. It's a different perspective. It's not one that I share, but it's different. And I look at it very, very differently. So like I've never given a shit about comic books ever or any of like the cosplay or any of that stuff. But you know, Comic Con comes here through San Diego. And oh, yeah. it is That's a big there 
big deal. It's a huge deal to the point where in San Diego, we have these comic book stores that are like the largest stores in the mall. I mean, they, they probably take up like six normal stores in the mall and it's just comic books and like little costumes and all of this stuff. I couldn't care less about any of that stuff. I certainly don't believe it should be a big part of my life, but I sit outside that place sometimes and I see not like I'm just stalking them, but when I'm in the mall, right, I sit outside there and I see the people going in there. Everybody looks happy. Nobody goes in there and they're upset to be having to go in there. Right. And I think at minimum, what it is, is a celebration of creativity. And I don't think that it should be pitched as science. I don't think astrology should be pitched as science. I think that's where where they get things mixed up is like, well, I'm feeling but this it way. Is, and that's why it makes you. That's why. Sure. It's, that's why it's a problem. Sure. And I think that can that can stir the pot a little bit. I don't think that should happen. But when it's not that, I feel like what it is is a celebration of creativity. And I think it's a good thing if it's making people happy and they're not trying to educate people to live their life based on it. They shouldn't say wake up and if, you know, their their zodiac says don't go outside today, that you know, they're literally letting that be their tour guide through life. I don't think that makes a lot of sense. But for people that just casually enjoy it, which is most of the people I know. They just casually enjoy it. I don't see it as a problem. Yeah, yeah. I don't either. Not, not in that context. And I feel like um, for a lot of people that actually um, do follow Zodiacs quite a lot, if I approach them from a perspective of not being judgmental towards them and like, you know, we end the conversation days over and we stay in contact, I notice that they actually then have, it's almost as if I've earned their respect by not judging them and shooting them down, but I'll educate them without yeah, yeah. making them feel like idiots. Now I've earned the respect and now they actually are more inclined to want to learn about the real science. And they are more than they're now more interested. Whereas I feel like if I were to shoot them down right then and there in the get-go, they would be like, well, now I don't even care what you have to say or what you learn or what, you know, what space is. Anytime I think of the word astrophysics, I'll think about how dumb I am. And, and that's something that's unfortunate that I think a lot of probably a lot of people, why they don't pursue science is because from a young age, they might feel less intelligent or not as smart um, in the classroom because they don't really get what's going on or because they believe something that they were told by their science teacher is fake or pseudoscience. And so then they retaliate and they say, well, now I don't even want to learn. And then I think that that's, and that's what's causing the big split in our society. And that's why so many people are uneducated in science and you know that and that that's a we all know that's a huge um problem just in general um just in, in the world i mean you know ugh, i don't even know it's so frustrating you know and so i feel like this is something that we we have to try to solve from yeah from a young right. age and not not each other. you have hit it absolutely <laughs> and said it beautifully that was perfect you're absolutely right about the approach to respect and the way you're approaching your science communication i know you've got to go we've only got a couple minutes i just have to ask you one more question before we go and that is that you worked at the hayden planetarium uh with your with your research you said have did you met have you met neil tyson yes actually um what's I he met like him. what's he like <laughs> Oh, he's great. I actually met him right when I got scouted for America's Next Top Model and had a huge panic attack, didn't know what I was doing with my life because I wanted to pursue astrophysics and also wanted to pursue modeling. And coincidentally, he happened to be getting off the elevators at that moment. I was actually just a student um, doing research uh, under a uh, research experience from the graduate program. And he had the best advice for me because he used to be a competitive dancer and captain of his wrestling team in addition to pursuing astrophysics. And he's like, 
you don't have to choose between one or the other. He's like, you can pursue both the creative arts in addition to science. And if it wasn't for him, I probably would have never pursued my entire modeling career. So um, he was awesome. He gave me his book, uh, Death by Black Hole. And, you know, when he handed it to me, he said, look, this is, of course, a book on astrophysics and the cosmos, but you're going to start to learn throughout it that your life is so much bigger and more complex than, than you think it is. It's not just one straightforward path. You can have a million paths in your life and that's okay. And that's sometimes what your life is supposed to be. So um, he's awesome. He used to host the Hayden Wine and Cheese like once a month uh, where all the, the research students, the astrophysicists will all come together on a, on a Friday at, um, um, you know, obviously 21 plus and we'd have wine and cheese and be imported cheese from everywhere. And we'd all talk about our, our research and what we were doing um, that summer. And that was always really fun because he always brought ties for everybody to wear with different like things, space things on them, comets and constellations and all that fun stuff. So yeah, he's, he's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great story. Well, that's a great way to end the podcast. I want to thank you for that. That was really good. Yeah, of course. Well, Athena, nothing but best luck for to you, man. I, I really am. Enjoy, I enjoyed this podcast. Thank you for taking time out to talk with us about your stuff. And if you guys have not started following, this is Athena Brensberger. She is at uh, Astro Athens on Instagram. I think that's also the name of your YouTube channel. Am I right? You're correct. That's right. So please follow her, subscribe to her, check her, check out her stuff. It's really good. And you'll be, you'll be glad you did. So Athena, thanks again for taking time out to be on our. Thank you. Okay. Well, on behalf of Dustin Gibson and our guest, Athena Brunsberger, thank you all so much for listening. And as always, keep looking up. Space Junk is produced by Deep Astronomy and sponsored by OPT Telescopes in Carlsbad, California. Please visit our website at spacejunkpodcast.com. Also, please send any questions and comments or ideas for new episodes to spacejunk at deepastronomy.com. <laughs>